0: Williams will be in town playing next Friday evening at the Amaturo Theater at the Broward Center for the Performing Arts, and Dora Williams is on the line. Hi, Dar. Hello. Well, I just played something to get through. Tell me about that song.
1: Um, I wrote it for a friend of mine who was uh, going through a divorce, and, and, you know, I've I've had, you know, serious clinical, you know, had to go to the shrink depression, and then I've just grieved, you know, <laughs> and, and I kind of wanted to write a song saying, this is just a tunnel and you're going to come out the other side, you know, and, um, and, and we're all kind of rooting for you and it's it's just a thing. <laughs> and so um, that's really all I wanted to, to establish uh, on, on top of which I do think, you know, as you get older, your friends get better at really knowing how to help you through it um, as opposed to just constantly saying the wrong thing.
0: That's from your latest album, Emerald, and it's uh, the album is different from the other ones only because you you produced it yourself. You had you were with Razor and Tie Records for a long time. What motivated you to produce this on your own?
1: You know, I was just curious. There were a few things going on. You know, Razor and Tie basically said you could still be with us, which was really nice. And and looking back, I think I might have just stayed with them. But I'm also glad that I. Broke away. I was just like, "You guys sell records, and there aren't any records left." You know, I just don't think that there's the streaming economy is not giving you any money. And so, I went out and did a, a crowdsourcing thing and learned a lot about how that works. Because I've always been kind of hands on. I already knew kind of the whole à la carte menu. You have to find a photographer. <laughs> you have to figure out the person who's going to print the CDs and find your producers and engineers. And and I knew all of those people. And I knew the best ones, for me, you know, so I was able to just call them up and travel around. The tracks were produced by other people and me in, like, eight different states and eight different studios, and it was great. It became a really interesting road trip. I'm glad I did it independently.
0: Does this have anything to do with the class you teach at Wesleyan University, Music, Movement in a Capitalist Society?
1: (laughs) I'm not teaching that anymore, although I am an artist in residence at Lafayette College right now. But the... Well, yeah, you know, it does. That's a really good question because it's actually in a capitalist democracy. And, you know, there's something that I've seen that I cut to kind of swim in during the time that I was crowdsourcing, which was, you know, there are these two things that people say, you know, if you love what you do enough, everything's going to work out in terms of making a living in music. And if you're social media savvy and, and technologically savvy, you will find a way to to also make a living at this because you'll just figure out the new technology. And what I talked about at Wesleyan was, is that there is no there's no replacement. There's nothing to be made from a streaming economy that gives you 0. .0001 cents per stream. And... They will still argue that it's a matter of just getting your social media and your <laughs> and your passion behind your music, but it's just not the same world anymore. And, and as a touring musician, that's how I make my living, and that's that works for me. But only because I was able to build up my base through a time when people would actually buy CDs, share their music on CDs. You know, it was just a, it was more of an investment financially, but it was also an investment they were making emotionally to have that in their hands, or even that iTunes track that they had downloaded. So we talked about that in in the class in terms of the difference from the way music used to be transmitted to to the way it is now.
0: So you're saying that if you were fresh and new today, uh, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing?
1: Certainly I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And I love and respect all of the ingenuity <laughs> that goes into what people have done. But generally, it's, it's different in so many ways. And they basically, you know, if you can hook up your performing of music and build up your audience through live performance and then hook it up with something else, whether it's teaching or leading retreats or corporate sponsorship that's not a record label or giving a percentage of what you do to a record label so that they so that they can help guide you through a record release. You know, like if you're sponsored by Pepsi, the way Katy Perry is. You know, that can work. You can hodgepodge it together and still do what you love. But that just puts a lot of stress on different parts of a musician's brain that maybe would have been nicer for them just to be able to have that time to walk in the swirling mists and really figure out what kind of song they wanted to write and and record it the way they wanted to record it.
0: Dar Williams is on the line. Dar is going to be in town next Friday evening in Broward County at the armatorial Theater at the Broward Center. I, I've noticed that you have been creative in your career and supplemented somewhat as an author. And your latest book, What I Found in a Thousand Towns, tell me what inspired your latest book.
1: Well, I was around 2012, somebody said to me that... There's a study that said that our relationships are formed mostly by proximity, you know, more than our values, more than our politics. And my first thought was, well, that's totally wrong. You know, people don't get along. And and proximity is is a a negative force in a lot of ways. People fight over things when they are too close together. And I thought, that's totally wrong. You know, I, I live yards from both my neighbors, and I like that. I like the fact that there's a park across the street with screaming kids, and I offer them my bathroom and glasses of water and see kids growing up across the street. So I thought, well, that's the thing. If you have what I call positive proximity, a sense of when I walk out the door, I live next to people who are different than me, and that's a good thing. That's a, that's a forward-moving wheel. And towns that have positive proximity, just sort of as an ethos in the air, are the ones that are finding their way back to local economies, back to their downtowns, resiliency, great schools, great libraries, and a general sense of people wanting to contribute. So I thought, somebody should write a book about this thing called Positive Proximity and how to build it. And (laughs) and I was like, I think that's going to be me. And I talked to friends. I said, what am I seeing here? What's the real name for it? And they said, well, there's something called social capital, which is like your bank account of goodwill as opposed to financial capital or political capital. And you're just talking about towns that have high high trust, high positive social capital. And I was like, well, I'll read about that and I'll write about it. And I got a book contract and and I wrote about it. It's kind of a how-to, how to be a cool town, like how to be a town that has that feel so that you can have what I call hometown pride. And worldly welcome. Which is a nice thing in the twenty first
0: century. It seems as if that you're going against the tide, like the music industry is changing. People are on their computers and self absorbed and it's it seems like you're not doing not not talking about what's happening.
1: Oh, you are absolutely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the cool thing. I mean I don't know what the physics of this is in terms of an equal and opposite reaction, but everything was working against downtowns and cities uh, in terms of the malls, the big box stores, e-commerce, and, you know, it still is arguably, right, and industries, big industries leaving cities and towns. But a few things are happening. One is that urban planners used to plan for cars, and used to be very excited about, you know, the car culture and, you know, cul de sacs and things that kind of pull us away from the downtown. And starting about thirty years ago, they really started working on looking at things that create pedestrian cultures and access and looking at the little things, the little details that help people feel like they're cared about in their communities. And so invisibly we were being helped back to our downtowns by our city planners. And then I mean my argument is once you've found your way into, let's say I, I teach free swim lessons because somebody has cordoned off some some of a piece of a river to create a public swimming place and I do this thing. Well then I meet other families, I meet other instructors, I meet the city officials who are helping me make this happen. and suddenly I, there's some program I want to do at the library. And I know all these people, and I call them up, and we do something at the library, and then we think about something we want to do, you know, at the school. So once you find each other, there is this kind of co-creative motivation to keep on going, and you know who the players are, and you can you can grow whatever small project you've been working on into, like I used to do house concerts, and then the next time I'd come back to a town, I was playing in a church basement, and then I was playing at sort of a A rock room on an off night because I'm a folk singer and then suddenly they had that social capital to build an actual art center in the middle of their town that offered lessons and performances and space for you know depressed teenagers or whatever and I've seen this migration back to the center the local food movement really helps people find their centers a lot of retired boomers who really understand how valuable they are in communities have gone in and, and done a lot of that. Patients requiring stuff, history projects and, and parks and flowers and supporting local businesses. and It's all going forward, and people are really bipartisan, beyond partisan when it comes to proximity.
0: Dar Williams is on the line. She's going to be in concert next Friday evening at the Armaturo Theater in Broward County. Her latest book is called What I Found in a Thousand Towns with a lot of inspirational stories. Where does folk music fit into all this?
1: Well, what's nice for me is that folk music allowed me to play in downtown. So I got to watch this sort of revitalization thing that nobody believes is happening, but it's happening everywhere. I got to watch it from the stage and I got to watch people introducing themselves to each other and, and CD signing lines and taking an extra-long intermission, not just to use the bathroom, but because they really wanted to hang out and talk to each other. And like I saw that immense need to connect, and I watched downtowns taking the boards off of the, the windows and filling up businesses with interesting new stuff. So the genre itself was what allowed me to kind of be in downtowns, and talk to volunteers and the kinds of people who like to organize things and put things together. But it's not just people who listen to folk music. But, you know, generally you show up at a folk concert to experience some sort of enlightenment, you know, to walk out kind of feeling more connected and enlightened than when you walked in. And there's other music where you go in and you... Kind of, It's like headbanger music, and you want to forget something, and, and that's fine, too. You know, you want to dance, or you want to get high, or, you know, people kind of go into performances to, to not think too much, but with folk music, generally people want to sort of have that collective lift, and I think it was Houston Smith, a great sort of social philosopher, he said... A great performance you walk out and you say I want to go do something good <laughs> and I think a lot of people leave concerts if if they feel like someone has communicated with them they want to spread that they want to tangibly connect some more and I really think that I mean I have that faith in the kind of the genre that I belong to
0: I hear the confidence uh, you have in the rebuilding downtowns and I do see it here in South Florida do you yeah. see? Do you see a revival in in the youth movement, or are they getting involved and becoming active?
1: Yeah, it's, well, there's this um, urban planner named Jane Jacobs, and she's she was the one who said, "What are you doing, you weirdos, who go up into helicopters and look down and plan cities according to what they would look like from the sky?" I plan cities from the stoop of my apartment building, and she's a really Uh, antagonistic writer, like a wonderfully confrontational writer. And she says, this is insane. Why do we have parks that are apart from commerce? You should have commerce nearby so people can walk out during their lunch break and have strollers. And, you know, this is insane. There is a Facebook page, apparently, that's all about Jane Jacobs' memes. Like, there's a whole millennial migration towards celebrating Jane Jacobs. And there's a children's book about children spoke about her, and I think that that really reflects this kind of interest in how we can be participants, you know, citizen participants, planners. And also the local food thing. If you're in your early 20s and you're a young dude or dudette and you want to start a brewery or something like that where you're brewing and you're listing kegs and you're doing all this stuff, which is something, you know, for the young, um... You'll also sort of be in places where you can have the space to do it, which is a neighborhood that might not be so safe right now. And, you know, you'll bring in lights. You won't be afraid to walk around because you're together. And so some of these younger food folks, young farmers and young brewers, are coming into really interesting areas and bringing you life, but they don't have a ton of money themselves. So they're not necessarily doing a a big white-glove gentrification. They're just bringing a little extra attention and saying, hey, let's rebuild this sidewalk and let's create some infrastructure for our neighbors that will that will help everybody. So, yeah, I think millennials are actually a, a big part of the push.
0: Dara Williams is on the line. She just wrote the inspirational book, What i Found in a Thousand Towns, a Traveling Musician's Guide to Rebuilding America's Communities. She's going to be in concert next Friday evening at the Barrett Center for the Performing Arts One more question before I play the last song. What I really liked about your book is that it was so positive, and that is kind of rare in these days. Uh, Are you generally a positive person?
1: Yeah, but you know what? People are much more positive. We really have to look at this narrative of look at how divided you are. Look at what a bunch of morons you are. Look at how nasty you all are. This happened in our town. We had a we had someone who was an executive at a certain news media juggernaut group that brought that spirit into our local paper, and our town is filled with people who really actively choose to get along uh, and collaborate really beautifully. And I saw that narrative come in that now we hear from, from the president's tweets that said, you know, is demeaning and tells us how you know what a bunch of losers we are. And I mean, that's my biggest argument against against him uh, because it's it's self perpetuating. One thing I, that cut through the static for me was that after I wrote the book, I said the opposite of division, as far as I've seen, the opposite of division is not unity; it is collaboration and every time i've said that people go oh right okay because we really fight and we don't get along and you know we don't do everything we want to do but but we are collaborating and we're collaborating beautifully i mean look at the art center where i'm playing i've been there before it's gorgeous that didn't just come out of nowhere and it's really well run and it's run not just with sort of you know professional staffers but there are a lot of people who take it upon themselves to spread the word and and do do things like you know, radio stations, say, that, that do a lot to promote what's going on in the art center. You know, that doesn't come out of nowhere. That, that to me, is, is the embodiment of, of an optimism that we all have.
0: Dara Williams is going to be in concert next Friday night at the Broward Center for the Performing Arts, the Amateur Theater. Dara, thanks for talking to us. I'm going to play one more song, Cool As I Am. Uh, why did you write that song?
1: that song because um i had a friend who who was going out with a guy who who would never give it up like she was so beautiful I kind of acknowledged conventionally beautiful and and he was constantly looking at other women and was talking about how beautiful they were and I, it was a total power play and i watched her figure that out and end that relationship and we talked about that phenomenon of people who put you down so that you don't leave them, basically. <laughs> and then and then I found myself in a relationship like that, that I ended pretty fast, but I was... It, it, first of all, it kind of worked. And second of all, it was like, what did you... Did you really think I was going to fall for that? I mean, I kind of did, <laughs> but um, it was... Uh, it was kind of a, a statement of incredulity, but it actually started as this really dirgy, like ballad, like I will not be afraid of women. But then I realized it—it's it, got more punch to it, you know. It's got more verve to, to, to assert yourself and say, "Great relationships are not based on a person having such low self-esteem that she's afraid to leave." Like we're not—we're not really hitting a home run when we have relationships like that. So it's a it's a leaving song, but it's also a cautionary song. Like let's not do that to each other.
0: Dara Williams, thank you so much for talking to us.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, there was a time I didn't like the love, I like the climber. She was no sister then it's running out of time and one liners and I was free like you are when you're too young to know the time. And so I watch the way you take your fear and hoard the horizon point. I have a word for everyone you can lay your eyes on, like you own, just because you bought the time. And you turn to me, you say you oh, I'm not threatened. Oh, oh, oh I'm not that heady. As cool as I am, I thought you know this already. I <laughs> not find out how much better things can get and if it helps i'd say i feel a little worse than i did when we met so you find someone else you can try again it might work next time you look out of the kitchen window and you shake your head and say oh if i could believe that stuff i'd say that woman has a halo and i look and i say yeah she's really blonde and then i